What did you eat for breakfast? Had a coffee for breakfast. Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms, the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 87. Sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and a range of other services. Go to theskinnyarmadillo.com to learn how they can help you get your merch business to the next level. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes, because that really helps the podcast get in front of more people just like you who want to learn from the successes, strategies, and failures of artists and entrepreneurs that I talk to. I really feel that the information coming from those guests is exceedingly valuable for the musicians community and anyone wanting to pick up tips from other people's experiences. This time out, we're talking social media strategies and the mindset of your band as a business with Aussie social media rock star Monica Strutt. Monica talks about her history from her mom forcing her into piano lessons, wanting to be an actress, all the way to touring with her former band and working for Heavy Magazine as a journalist. We discuss a wide range of subjects that bands need to think about to make music for a living. And most importantly, Monica exclusively shares her secret love of ironing board cover designs. Congratulations to the winner of the shirt and mask, Chris Rushing of the bands Burden of Existence, The Universe Divide, and Canvas Solaris. The latter we may see on the podcast in early January. For this episode, my suggested artist is Black Crown Initiate. As you'll hear, I mentioned the band in talking to Monica, and so I thought it would be pertinent to include them here. I first discovered them when they released their debut EP, instantly loved their sound, and I've been following them ever since. I recently caught up with guitarist Andy and vocalist James for an interview which will be released in about a month's time. As always, if you like what you hear, Go give them some love and support the band, especially as they are currently unable to tour. Support the podcast by getting your shirts, masks, or mugs at store.musiconyourownterms.com today. I might be looking at adding hoodies to the mix, so if you're interested, then hit me up and we'll get it going. As a reminder, I still have some slots open for my band social media audit, where I go through your web presence, suggest improvements, and come up with some strategies to help you improve your reach and get more eyes on your band and ears on your music. Get in touch and we'll set up a free Zoom call consultation to chat about your goals. Here's my chat with Monica. All right, so welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today I'm joined by Monica Strutt, who is a vocalist of The Last Martyr. And she also runs uh, the Being in a Band podcast, amongst other things. So how are you doing today? I'm very well, Simon. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for coming on and talking to me today. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't know where to start, really. Uh, let's talk about uh, where you got into music in the first place. That would be a good place to start. Like, What, what gave you the bug and kind of what bands did you uh, kind of latch onto in the beginning? Yeah, definitely. Oh, can I just say your accent is very similar to an Australian accent because I know you grew up in the UK, right? Mm -hmm. And then you moved to to the US. So I feel like sometimes the Australian accent is the same kind of blend as like a UK and American accent. So when I first heard you, I was like, is this guy Aussie? 
Yeah, so it depends on where in in America. So I my wife's from Massachusetts, and it has that very hard like park the car in Harvard Yard. Mm. So that mix, I get that. I've gotten that a bit, but it's it's like I now I moved to Texas. Now I'm working on my third accent. Um, I <laughs> and the weird part is I've met people who have been in America for forty years, and their accent is as as English as it was the day they left. Yeah. And then I've met people that have been here for like five minutes and their accent has completely changed already. I'm in the kind of the middle. I take a little time to adjust, but yeah, it, stuff, various syllables and vowels kind of creep in there. It it just depends. There's, there's some things I'm a real stickler for, like aluminium, you know, and garage. But there's other stuff that kind of, you know, you get lazy and you don't want to be that um, elitist. But yeah, absolutely. I think I think accents rub off on some people more than others yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah, I have some like friends in the US and they say that they think their Australian accent has gotten thicker since moving there because I don't know if they're just like trying to maintain it or what it is. But yeah, I just wanted to awesome. bring that up. Yep. No, thank you. <laughs> um, so where did my love of music start? It's such a good question. I mean, the typical story of my mum put me through piano lessons as a small child and playing mm. in the various uh, school bands. I played clarinet. That was probably – actually, I think piano was my technical first instrument, and then I played clarinet in the school bands for many years and did multiple, like, performances, and I was in the choir and that sort of thing. Um, but I would say that was just, you know – one of those extracurricular activities that you just do for the sake of it. There wasn't really a passion for behind sure. it. My piano teacher was a bit older and he had me playing Elvis songs, which, you know, as an eight year old girl, I had no idea who Elvis was. <laughs> right. um, so, I mean, there was a kind of like this foundation of music and, of, and I did, you know, drama and dance and all those kind of typical performing arts um, extracurriculars. But my love of music didn't really stem until I sort of hit around, well, first up when I was 12, I was listening to the radio one day and I heard the announcer say that the girls, uh, the, uh, the, well, the song that was on the radio, the woman who was singing it wrote it when she was just a girl and she wrote her first song when she was, you know, 13 years old or something. And at the time I was 12 and I must have really discovered this competitive streak because I was like, well, I can write a song. I'm 12 and I can beat that kind of thing. Right. And so I ended up writing songs like from the age of 12, first major one being when my school bag got stolen out of mum's <laughs> car and it was very traumatizing. <laughs> but yeah, my real love of when I decided to take it into a career was, I mean, I wanted to be an actress and I my high school wouldn't let me in the school's production because I couldn't sing. So then I had to start singing lessons. And then the whole acting world kind of fell by the wayside when I discovered Guns N' Roses <laughs> and okay. rock and roll and all those like glam bands in the eighties, which were totally before my time. But I had a friend who was really into that stuff and uh, just something about the aggression of the music and the power and the emotion in the music was unlike anything I'd ever heard before. And mm. that really is what kind of flicked the switch in terms of doing music as just a hobby and, you know, just wanting to, you know, I wanted to be in the performing arts, but I wasn't really taking it seriously. But when I heard Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue, you know, just something about that lifestyle is a real sense of freedom and self-expression that went along with it and fun. And that really, really appealed to me. So that's kind of when flicked the switch a little bit. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so it does look like you uh you kept that going a lot because i was i was i was just trolling through your linkedin page and stuff and you know everything um i see is like music related and um your social media manager for heavy magazine is that correct yeah i was for about 2 years or so i'm not oh, okay. doing it um anymore i sometimes do um like journalism for them doing interviews at like festivals and everything. But, mm -hmm. um, that was kind of my first like soiree into being a professional social media manager. I was always like interested in it, but, um, around about that time where I took up that role, I was in a band for six years that broke up and I really needed kind of this creative outlet, but I was also very, very aware that I needed to learn about the business side of music. Mm. 
And so I'd already been like dabbling in music journalism for a little while. And then when that opportunity came up to dive into the world of social media, something that I was already very, very interested in. And of course, for a heavy magazine, I mean, like, can you get a better dream job than that? I don't think so. Um, then I yeah took up that opportunity and that has been really a basis of a lot of my learnings and a lot of my teachings in my business. That's awesome. So talk me through um, when did you start, you know, being in a band? And what kind of pushed you to explore the uh, business side and kind of learn about it and then teach it? Because a lot of people, it's just like you're in a band and then you're like, why are we not successful? The music's good, blah, blah, blah. But there's no push to kind of learn why. There's no push to to search out these these paths to figure out how you can make it better, mm. which is why I started my podcast is to try and you know, promote the entrepreneurial mindset. So what, you know, can you, can you talk through the process of being in a band and then, you know, figuring out that you want to teach it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, um, I think we're very similar in the sense that we both mm. knew straight away that being a musician is being an entrepreneur and that's kind of what sparked the podcast idea. So as uh, when I'd been working for Heavy Magazine for a couple of years, I'd already had um, I'd already had quite a broad network from my years of playing in bands and touring around Australia, and uh, so I built this nice little network on Facebook. And then when I started taking music journalism more seriously, and I started managing social media for Heavy Magazine. I noticed that a lot of people started to, you know, notice my bylines on the articles that I was writing and just notice my overall presence, I suppose. And I had a lot of people start to reach out to me in the DMs. And I'm not just talking about friends. Like I've always loved talking about music business with friends. It's Mm. been a very, um, I've always loved the music business side of things because I've always had that entrepreneurial understanding. And I started to get so many DMs from people that I knew and then I started to get DMs from people that I didn't even know people that were friends of friends or some random that, you know, how you just friends with random people on Facebook that you don't actually know in real life. Yeah. Um, Facebook was really like a networking tool from the get go for me. And I was starting to get so many questions and a lot of it revolved around social media that I thought, Oh, I think it might just be easier to make YouTube videos about this. Mm. So I'd already dabbled in YouTube a couple of years prior. I had a friend that was a YouTuber and uh, I dabbled in kind of like doing like alternative fashion, but really wasn't passionate about it. So I decided to revive this YouTube channel, create a bunch of YouTube videos, a series on answering some of the most common questions. And from there, I thought, well, I should really be continuing to do this and creating YouTube videos is really time. Mm. Um, it, it takes a lot of time and you have to have like the passion of editing, which I did have, but to me, I'm a writer. I love writing. That's where my, my thoughts flow much more freely. So then that turned into a blog, had the blog for about a year or so. And then I just realized you could say a lot more through a podcast and people can get to know mm. my personality a lot more than a curated blog, which has been edited. And, you know, I've, and obviously made the words flow perfectly and everything. So yeah, mm. I started the podcast about a year ago and I'm so glad that I did. I definitely procrastinated on it for a while because I'm definitely more of a confident writer than I am a talker, but with practice and experience, as you probably know, you just get better and better. And um, I feel like that has really, really enabled me to get to know my audience and form a stronger relationship with them so I can better serve the community. That's great. Yeah, I mean, same thing for me. I very really love writing. Um, always had a problem talking, and I think my psycho- uh, subconscious said, "You need to do something, whether you're actually using your words and, and talking." And you know, I have brain farts all the time, but you know, it's better than episode one was. <laughs> so. Absolutely, yeah, and even just like the audio quality. Like looking back on my first episodes, it's mm. it's weird. My first episode is one of the most listened to episodes. It's just called being in a band, and I don't know if it's because a lot of people like to start from the beginning when they discover a new podcast, um, but it's really just about my story and mm. and my journey and everything. So it's like super interesting, but also. I'm kind of like, no, listen to the most recent ones because they're heaps better. <laughs> right. Yeah, I did it. I did it like an update on my, uh, I think it was my end of last year. And that's that's matching or, or exceeding the downloads for like episode one, which mm-hmm. is good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, what have you learned? Um, how should I phrase this? You know, 
was the the band uh, that you're in now, Last Marta? Was that set up almost as an experiment, or was that something you brought into this that you already had? Yeah, so it's really interesting. So when that band that I was in for six years broke up, um, I actually moved into state with the intention of starting a new project, and I'd already spent so many years you know, starting from the grassroots, not knowing anyone in the local music scene, not knowing any of the venues, and then getting to a point where we were touring, we were filling venues on our own, we were headlining, getting support slots, we toured overseas as well. So, mm. you know, it, it had been this very organic journey. And even when the band ended, social media wasn't as massive as what it is today, but it was still pretty massive. Mm. And this is around 2016. And then when that band ended, I knew that I couldn't spend another six years effectively getting another band back to the start because, you know, I was in my sort of mid twenties at that point And I was like, you know, I, I can't invest that much time. I really have to figure out another way. And that's when this heavy magazine opportunity came up to really, really, you know, not only like learn, force myself to learn more about social media, but also start mixing with people in the industry. And I was mixing with managers and labels and everything like that. Mm. And then I was without a band for about two years because I was pretty burnt out and I moved to Melbourne, uh, which is about 10 hours drive south of Sydney. Mm -hmm. And going into this band, I was pretty particular about the type of people that I wanted in the band. I knew that in order to kind of fast track the success as much as you can, it's still going to happen in like, you know, when it's meant to happen kind of thing. I had to find people that definitely had been in bands that were at a similar level to my old band, had been touring, were already business savvy, knew how important social media was and uh, also had the same goals of taking it seriously and everything. So then I eventually found this band and going into it, I wouldn't say it was necessarily an experiment, but I think everything's an experiment. Even like stuff that I do with my clients yeah. is going to be an experiment for them if they in particular haven't done it before. Or maybe I haven't even like done it before in my band or trialed it with another client. And But, you know, it, it makes sense to kind of try it for them. Marketing, there's no one and done way. There's no way, okay, do this, this, and this, and then you're going to get, you know, 100,000 streams on your next EP. Not at all. Um but at the same time, I'm not afraid to make mistakes and to use like not only my band, but myself as kind of like a testing ground to see what the industry is doing. Because I feel like most bands that are having success are are doing exactly the same thing, whether they, mm -hmm. you know, whether they teach what I teach, which is social media marketing or not, everyone's like just experimenting and figuring out what works for them. So, I mean, yeah, I think it would be quite different if I wasn't in a band myself and I was just teaching theory to a lot of musicians and just being like, well, in theory, this should work, but I haven't tried it mm -hmm. myself or I don't have this certain background or I haven't tried similar right. things. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely it's interesting balancing those two things of like teaching, but also I'm building my own band at the same time, which I think is like a lot of the appeal of why people uh, work with me is because. I'm not yeah. about being, I don't, I understand, like, I'm not about being frivolous with money. I have very specific things that I think are worth investing in and various ways of doing things that I know uh, will resonate with bands that are at this kind of grassroots level. So mm -hmm. yeah, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think you almost have, like to teach this stuff, you almost have to have, you know, you can't just walk into college and say, I'm going to teach physics and, and never having done an experiment in your life. You have to have that background. And the fact that social media changes every five seconds, you almost have to be doing it to be able to teach it because it's going to change tomorrow. Like, look at TikTok. It's going to be banned or supposed to be banned Sunday in America and it got pushed off. It's obviously a political thing, but, you know, that political thing you know is going to affect millions of people and thereby you you may lose your audience you may not who mm. knows but it's it's you know and, and I've, I've said it before you know big good point to to bring up on on a yet another episode how important is your email list mm. yeah having direct access to someone's yeah. inbox is extremely powerful and i've definitely worked with a lot of clients on building their email list and my band is actually about to do like a full relaunch at the end of this year. So definitely one of those things is to get an email list and start collecting emails because 
social media is just so volatile and mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting like to get in some ways, like I understand why early stage bands when they just have maybe only five fans or something that are actually willing to hand over their email and actually mm-hmm. care enough to sign up for an email list. I can understand that it's probably a little bit more work than the reward kind of thing when those five fans are probably just as engaged on social media. But I definitely think that every band gets to a certain point and it's quite early on still where they need to get people on that email list. <laughs> so oh, yeah. to try and yeah, not be a slave mm-hmm. to that algorithm. That That's probably a band, but, and I'm probably late in the game to, uh, to steal that name, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what I did see the other day, you said, uh, something about having your, your uh podcasting and training business make more money than your day job so congratulations for that thank you so what what are you doing in the, if you don't mind sharing that what are you doing in the daytime yeah so i mean technically not much at this point in time because of covid but at the right. beginning at the beginning of the year i was in a in a day job i was doing marketing for a company that did various kind of design work. They did interior design work for like bars and clubs and really like fun venues um, that, you know, Australians would probably all know. Um, But also design work for, um, they were like an agency. I had one of my main clients was a, a bedding company who also owned a ironing board company, which is a very, very hard sell to try and sell an ironing board cover is extremely difficult to market that in an interesting way. So that that's... I'll give you my mum's email address. Yeah, yeah, sure. You, you um, just made another sale. <laughs> you look, they've got some like good designs, you know, definitely not my demographic, but um, right. yeah, maybe your mum might be like more interested in it. Uh, so yeah, I was working for a design agency and... Uh, when I started working for them, also the owner was for, uh, he, one of those classic brilliant entrepreneurs. He was also starting his own social media platform. Mm -hmm. And I was brought on not only to help with the marketing of some of his design clients, but also, um, to help with this building of this social media platform. But, uh, I was working there for maybe about 18 months at, at the point of the beginning of this year. And, the social media platform had kind of fallen by the wayside. I was doing a lot of admin and I was just really, really unhappy with my day job. And I was always, always planning on taking my business full time and, you know, being able to work in the industry full time and help bands and artists that want to get to that next level. I mean, there's really nothing more satisfying than that to me. Well, really Mm -hmm. just helping people live the life that, you know, live life to the fullest and make money and be happy about it. Um, So yeah, I was very, very unhappy at the beginning of this year and I really couldn't see a way out. And COVID hit and honestly, it was my COVID is obviously been devastating for so many people and we absolutely cannot discount that. But for me, it was my guardian angel. I honestly feel like the timing of COVID really just saved me and it saved my mindset. And I was able to work from home because we had a lot of clients in the hospitality industry and hospitality is closed over here pretty much at the moment still. Well, particularly in my state, it's reopened elsewhere now, but, you know, hospitality was closed. And so there were no new venues opening and no new design jobs. And I was working from home and I had a lot of extra time on my hands to finally, finally pursue my business goals. And over the course of the last six months, I've launched a membership. I have been able to take on more clients without that added stress of working a day job and then doing this on the side kind of thing. And just like with that mental, with the understanding that at any point my day job could have been ripped out from under me as well because of the way mm-hmm. that the climate is, um, I really was, it was kind of this back against the wall moment where I was like, okay, well now is the time. Like if there's any time to just go ham on the business and ham on selling your products, because I think with a lot of entrepreneurs they are afraid to sell. I certainly mm-hmm. was for a long time. It's like, here's all my free content. Oh, by the way, I've got this course. Um, you know, the kind of very secretive whispering in the corner about it. Like when it came to this year, I was like, no, I could lose my day job at any moment. This is a time to promote and go ham. And I was able to achieve that milestone, which I have for multiple months now. So it's been, I mean, like, I'm just so thankful for this opportunity. I mean, we're in hard lockdown in Melbourne at the moment, so we actually can't leave the house unless it's for groceries. Wow. 
um, groceries and we're only allowed out once a day for that and only one person from each household. We're, we're not allowed to go more than five kilometers from our house. We have to stay in our area. Um, but we are allowed out for two hours of exercise. Originally, it was one hour of exercise. We could go outside. So this one of the strictest restrictions in the world. And uh, so at this point in time, having been – I mean, th- these restrictions weren't always as harsh, but we always had very harsh restrictions from the beginning. But, yeah, it's it's now getting to a point where I'm like – okay, I need something else other than work. Like, I'm so glad that I had my business because my day job has literally, I'll only be working that a couple of hours a week now. So it's basically nothing. Um, but yeah, so I think I'm turned into a bit of a workaholic purely because there's nothing else to do. Um, mm. so yeah, we're all a bit over it, but it's only a couple more weeks now and, and the, and the stats are looking okay. So where, where it should be allowed out. <laughs> yeah, I wish, uh, I wish the, uh, you know, this particular country would uh, have the same fortitude to get rid of it. But that's a whole different <laughs> hole. I'm not willing to disappear down. Absolutely. But, you know, it, I definitely want to touch on a couple of points there. Uh, um, one is that do you think uh, there's some stuff in your business that, you know, had you not had the day jobs and the stuff you didn't really want to do has transitioned? And if you didn't have that kind of uh, previous experience, would, would, you know, you may have not done something or you may not have thought about something in a certain way that would have lent it i mean i think it's just a a broader thing to indicate that you know all your experiences lend themselves well to what you want to do eventually but i mean is there any particular thing that you could have said well you know if i if i hadn't done this job i wouldn't have been able to do this part yeah definitely i do think that kind of everything happens for a reason. That's a mentality that I I really believe in, or even that there's a lesson in everything. So I've done, you know, as, as you do, when you spend a lot of time at home during a pandemic, you do a lot of self-reflection and self-development work. And I was, I've actually reflected quite a lot on everything that my various day jobs have taught me. The day job that I had, you know, in the six years that I was in that old band back in Sydney, you know, what that taught me about business, um, the job that I first got when I first got here and also my latest job. And it's interesting, like in my, in my first sort of main day job that I had kind of out of college, I worked for a very corporate company and I Mm. learned very quickly about politics and also the importance of more so like communication. And I saw a lot of people that worked at the company for like 10 years or so. And I used to commute daily, like sometimes an hour each way and see a lot of sad faces on the train, just not living up to their potential in life. And it really gave me this kind of burning desire to be like, fuck that. Like, <laughs> sorry if I'm not allowed to speak this podcast. Oh, you totally can. Okay, good. Um, and it really lit this fire under my belly. So when I did move to Melbourne and I had this fresh start, that there was no way in hell that I was going to get another corporate role where I was forced to dress like someone that I wasn't. Because for a musician, working too long in jobs that aren't fulfilling and where we feel undervalued and probably we're underpaid and the job that I had was I'd get, I'm, I don't fuck around. So like, I did all my work in the first two hours and I'd be forced to sit there till 5 PM for another, you know, five and a half hours, six hours or so twiddling my thumbs, just looking busy. And to me like that, that is a waste of my talents. That is a waste of their money and time. And this is the way that a lot of people live. Like this is the everyday for a lot of people. I know because I was there and a lot of my team members were in the same boat. Um, so that was a huge, a huge wake up call. When I moved to Melbourne, I was like, okay, I want to work for a small business. I want to be able to dress however I want, you know, within reason, obviously I'm not going to come in in a bikini, but (laughs) dress how I want. And I want to feel like myself at work. And that's going to allow me to be more creative. I also took up a role that enabled me to do social media professionally. But then the issue with the job that I had when I first worked here, I worked for a sustainable fashion company doing their marketing and their customer service uh, is that the owner really had no idea what I did, but there was literally, it was just me and the owner. So it was very small business yet. He had no idea what I was doing each day. And he also wasn't investing in willing to invest in his marketing. And that was a real issue. And the company ended up going broke and I ended up being made redundant for that role, Uh. which then turned into giving me the push to start my business because I had to make money somehow. Right. And then my latest job, like, 
I mean, we're talking about skills that aren't tangible skills. Like, of course, like I learned about customer service with all these roles and I learned about being organized and admin and everything like that, which of course translates into owning your own business because I think a lot of people own their own businesses, but they've never been in customer service. And you like, that is really one of the most important aspects. And the latest role that I had like was working for, I mean, I was doing like freelance work for in the interim for a little while after the redundancy, but like so many lessons from this latest role. I think it was again, just about knowing what everyone does, like knowing your business, like the back of your hand and really just seeing things through. Like you can have all these ideas Um, but you have to be able to actually test the market and Mm -hmm. you have to actually see them through because it's one thing to have a brilliant idea for a concept, but if no one in the market wants to buy it, then it's really just a waste of your time and a waste of your money. So there's just, I mean, there's just so many lessons that I could take away from all of my day jobs that I'm, that I'm now implementing in my business. I've just hired a virtual assistant and, um, the way that I treat her, it really stems from the, I don't want to say like mistreatment in my old jobs, but I want to be the boss that I wish I had, but I also have to learn to, I'm very, very relaxed as well. So I've had to learn to, um, actually say, well, actually this isn't right. You need to do it this way, which is very hard for me because, um, yeah, I'm just like, I'm not a very micro-focused person uh, and that's why I hired a VA who is actually more micro-focused. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's all a learning experience, but I definitely think that even though a lot of the day jobs, like I really haven't had that job satisfaction, um, there's just so many lessons to be learned to take mm. into the future. Yeah, I, I resonate with, with, you know, a lot of that. Uh, I was in a corporate job for 18 years. Wow. But- was not fulfilling but the the danger is if you if you do the the kind of thing where you're doing you're you're you you are you're that kind of creative person that needs to be busy and needs to be doing something productive and you do end up doing your work really quickly they just shovel more onto you and then you get extremely overwhelmed mm. um and and they just take advantage of you and you're still getting the same hourly rate so it's like, absolutely or they may it or even worse they they make you uh you know, they, they give you a, a salary and you don't have an hourly rate. So you're, you're actually effectively, if you do more work, you're getting paid less because you don't put in the overtime because you don't get overtime at that point. That's absolutely right. And I think what I got really good at, I mean, I got a salary um, in my jobs and I always, because I, I wasn't passionate about what I was doing. I was always very strict at, I mean, I would stay back late on the occasion when I needed to, but I was it kind of worked well in getting a job that I wasn't super passionate about because I could get in at 9am, although I was often very late. I mean, I was a, I was a good employee in the sense that like, I always got my work done, but like in terms of like having those boundaries of like nine to five, I was always running late, but my manager, she really didn't care. Uh, she's like any, if you're, if you're any less than 20 minutes late, I don't even class that as being late. She was amazing. Um, and at 5 p.m. I could just clock off. I didn't have to think about work necessarily after and I could just go to band rehearsals. And I got really good at, okay, well, what can I do to fill my time while I'm sitting at my desk twiddling my thumbs kind of thing? And the good thing about those sorts of jobs, like if you have the freedom to, like I don't want anyone to get fired, but I got really good at like writing lyrics in an email and then sending it to myself. I got really mm-hmm. good at booking tours and organizing artwork for an upcoming EP while I was sitting at my desk at my day job kind of thing, researching, I did a lot of my social media. I became obsessed with learning about the algorithms and social media and everything. I'm fully self-taught, but it was only because I was just so obsessed Mm. about it uh, that I really just taught myself every single thing that I needed to know because, you know, what else was I going to do with my time? (laughs) I had to be there till 5 p.m. So that's really where a lot of like the work behind, you know, the band that I was in and then transitioning into a digital marketing career really stemmed from sitting at those day jobs and being bored. So I, I definitely got good at being, um, very, uh, covert. <laughs> I mean, even when I was like waitressing at uni, I used to be writing lyrics in like the waitressing pads when I was taking people's orders and stuff <laughs> like that. So yeah, there's, you know, you got to get creative with it if you want to be fulfilled and not, you know, want to, go back to sleep every single day right totally um and i and i think touching on that um you know covid 
is probably going to force a lot of people to really think about their situation and be like, well, I could just do my job from home anyway, so mm. I can set my own hours and I still get my work done, so why do I have to sit in an office? Exactly. I really think you know? that that business model is completely redundant. Like, just mm-hmm. from, you know, as we've been saying, having the experience of having to be somewhere at 9 a.m., 5 p.m. I'm actually not a morning person. I know that's a limiting belief that I probably keep telling myself, but the fact of the matter is I was often playing shows till, you know, getting home Mm -hmm. in the early hours of the morning. And I was often, I'm someone who often gets like a second wind of a night and I will, you know, lately I've really been exploring this concept of, um, uh, I can't, I, I can't remember the official term. It's where you break your sleep into two. So you basically sleep for about three or four hours and then you wake up and you create and then you go back to sleep for another yep. three or four hours. So my body clock, um, and I know it's probably anxiety as well, but my body clock naturally wakes me up at 3 a.m. every single night. And I'm going through a particularly, like, in my personal life, I'm going through a bit of a stressful period. So, and you know, that probably plays into it as well. But I've really being open to like harnessing, okay, well, there's a reason why I'm waking up in the early hours of the morning. And I've thought of some of the best like business ideas that I've been implementing lately or a new, a new piece of content or a a way of launching a new program that I have that has come to me in the early hours of the morning. So, and I know that a lot of creatives and inventors like throughout history have kind of sworn by the fact of like getting up early and um and doing that and have and breaking up your sleep cycles in that way and Mm -hmm. uh, yeah apparently some people just naturally that's like that's actually how you're meant to sleep and so there's no one size fits all okay well if you you need to wake up at 7 a.m and then you need to commute an hour to work and get there at 9 a.m and then you come home at 6 p.m then you've got a couple of hours and you know during nine to five is when you know you'll be the most productive i mean you are the most productive a couple of hours after you wake up but for me, like I like I get up early quite a lot because I have clients that are international and I'm often doing like podcast yeah. interviews and stuff. So I but like I want to. Like I'm so like I'm so motivated to get up early. But in terms of like if I just have a normal day where I'm just working or creating programs or um all I need to do is like just record a couple of podcasts and do like some admin, then I'm not starting work before like ten AM or eleven AM because I wanna exercise before that and I wanna, you know, eat a meal and center myself and journal and meditate and get myself in the state that I need to be in to do my best work. And, um, yeah, really been thinking a lot about this one size fits all mentality that has been kind of placed upon most working people in this day and age. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, just word of warning when you hit 40, it's all downhill from there. (laughs) Now I, I was, I was that kind of like stay up late, get stuff done. I've, I've turned into that, I'm brain dead at eight. I want to go to bed. So now, yeah, I'm starting to wake up earlier and I'm more productive in the morning. Mm. But then, you know, I start getting late for work because the podcast episodes are like, oh, I'll just do this extra 20 minutes of audio. And <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, it, but again, you know, there's definitely uh, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot to that. I mean, yeah, I think I've seen the same study that you have. Um but then obviously we have our circadian rhythms that are baked into our DNA. So, you know, you kind of have to balance both of those, but sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think, I think the important part is just figure out what works for you and your, you know, your family and your, um, you know, your environment and then, and then, you know, work to that, that goal, I guess. And that, yeah. um, that setup. Um, the other thing that you, you mentioned earlier was definitely about, uh, you know, knowing your worth and be, you know, telling telling people that you want them to pay you um and i think that's something that's extremely important for bands to to understand you know i i think there's you know i've said this on the podcast before that i think there's a certain amount of entitlement with you know i've i've put you know hundred thousand hours into my instrument i've bought all this expensive gear i put it into a cheap car and then i go get paid nothing um you know you know the meme Mm. um but you know, you don't see a plumber buy all this equipment, do all this training and say, I should be a successful business person mm. because it's a different skill set, first of all, than the actual trade. Um, you know, and that's where I think there's a lot of disconnect with musicians. They don't see the the trade and the business and ha- and realize that they have to work on the business in order to, you know, be be successful. 
But then the, the other side of it is, and I'm definitely guilty of this, is just not having the confidence to go out and charge people for your value. And as musicians, you know, our product has changed and evolved because of streaming. So maybe the product is not music anymore. That's our marketing. Mm. And the product is our lessons or our show experience or our merch or whatever other creative ideas you can get in front of people. Um, but, you know, can you can you talk to that a little bit? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, I mean, a couple of years ago, I was doing some consulting with a local manager and um, and booking agent. And he expressed it really, really clearly when he said, your music, and this is years ago before, you know, even I think Spotify was big. He said, your music is exactly what you said, a marketing tool for your merch, for your shows. It's kind of like how you attract in your audience. And then I like to think of social media as the way you build relationships with your audience and then they eventually convert to a customer. So you have to let go of that mentality of like my music's being undervalued because I only get such and such for a Spotify stream. Uh, I watched an amazing, amazing video by punk, um, punk rock MBA. Uh, Finn, I think his name is, but the guy that does punk rock MBA. Uh, and he said that, yes, you only get paid a certain amount for your streaming per song. However, Spotify is giving you this platform to give you extreme exposure to thousands of listeners that you would not have been able to reach purely through social media unless you throw hundreds of dollars of ads behind it. And even then, mm -hmm. maybe not. Um, or definitely not through shows. You're reaching people all around the world and we need to stop thinking locally. We need to start thinking globally. So that's the first thing is you can, you know, th throw your fists up in the air however much you want be like, we're not being paid fairly. Uh, but, you know, just get with the times is basically <laughs> what I need to say about that. Um, yeah, I mean, and the, well, just, sorry, not don't want to interrupt. No, no. Just to interject there. Um, I, it reminds me of uh, the, the guy from Pomplamoose who set up Patreon. I've forgotten his name. But I remember him saying about the, the idea behind Patreon was going back to Greek times when the patrons of the art would pay the artisans to make their art. Mm. They're not paying like if you if you, you know, for, for, a, for a sculptor or a painter. Yes, they're paying for the tangible thing, which is the art. But when you talk about music, poetry, the bards, all that kind of stuff back in those days. They're not paying for the tangible music because they had no way of recording. They, they had the experience of listening. So they're paying for the experience even way, way back in, in Greek times. And we're still doing the same thing. We, music is the experience. It's not the notes and the spaces and the sound waves. It's the actual experience. So to say your music's undervalued, it's not. If people are listening to you, then that's the whole point. You know, that. yeah, sure, the stream itself is not making money, but you just need to use that as your kind of catalyst to get them to fork over money for your T-shirt that they're going to say, oh, I love this band, you know? Yeah, I, that's so interesting the way that that's put in terms of the experience because now I'm thinking, well, what experience are you creating for your fans? Like. Mm. If, if you were walking down a street and you just saw a CD on the ground and picked it up or you just walked past the CD, that tangible thing, that's like not really going to be such a fun, immersive experience. The way that you can kind of enhance the experience of your followers is really through what are you giving back through social media? What's the, what's the intention behind the music? What is the culture that you're cultivating behind the music? How are you relating to it? Are you even speaking about, you know, the lyrics? And are you mm. even trying to entertain your audience outside of the actual tangible song itself? It's really about there's there's so much more to being a musician than just creating music. It's as as you said, it's really about well, what what's the experience that you're giving at shows? A lot of bands aren't even rehearsing properly or they're not working with someone that can help them actually, you know, there's, um, you know, coaches that can help you actually perform better and be more united mm -hmm. as a front. And then 
you know, you go to a local show and all the band members look like they're not even part of the same band and they're not well rehearsed and someone's making a mistake, like, yet they feel entitled that someone should pay them for their song. Like, it's there's just a bit of a mismatch of the intention there. Like, you're providing a service. You're not providing, you know, your music is just not going to be enough. There's plenty of amazing musicians. And as well, when you asked me this question, I, I came to think of um, Will Smith, actually, who... Um, oh has a lot of like words of wisdom about the entrepreneurial space and also, you know, just, it just, uh, he speaks a lot about like the law of attraction and achieving your goals and manifestation. And there's this amazing interview that he did, that he does. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not the smartest person. I'm not the most talented mm-hmm. person. I'm not the sexiest person, but I'll work harder than you. Like if you and I get on a treadmill, there's two things that are going to happen. I'm going to outrun you or I'm going to die. That's it. I'm going to die trying kind of thing. And that's the kind of mentality that you have to do. Like, I I don't like think I'm particularly talented. It's just that I've like just been so focused over the years and I'm like, okay, well, how can I get better at this? Okay. Well, I'd already, you know, just talking purely about just going back to the art as a vocalist, I wanted to sing as loud as I could because I wanted to play in metal bands and, you know, you have to sing loud to get over the instruments. I wanted to sing as loud as I could. I wanted to sing as high as I could and I wanted to sing as low as I could. So everything that I did, all the exercises that I did and all the stuff that I wrote was always stuff that I couldn't actually sing yet. But, you know, like, by God, I was going to actually get to that note, you know, by the time it comes to the recording studio and that's how I pushed myself. And then after singing for so many years, I was like, okay, well, what's next? I need to be able to have another flavor that I can deliver. So then I started to learn how to scream as well. And it's kind of like you have to be continuously improving and a lot of people kind of get complacent and they think that, you know, just because they're good at guitar, then that's it. It's like another thing that I thought of was Coleman's pie chart. It's Coleman's pie theory. I don't know how well known it is, but it's just something that one of my business coaches taught me. And it's like the three elements of success in any industry are pie, performance, image, and exposure. And in the case of musicians, performance is um, obviously like your literal performance, like how good you are at your instrument and also like, you know, how entertaining you are. Image is not only like your, um, your tangible image, like your branding and your visuals, but also how do people perceive you both as a band and individually. This is how I've come to interpret it for, you know, my clients and everything. And then, and then exposure is of course, like telling people about it. And the way that that pie chart is broken up is performance is only 10% of that pie. It's like, you Mm. can have the best song in the world. Uh, Image is uh, 30% and exposure is 60%. So you can have the best song in the world, but unless anyone knows about it, it's totally pointless. It's totally pointless. Mm -hmm. And too many people are focusing so much on just the actual tangible writing of the music, which often bands aren't even getting right because they're writing for themselves. They're not writing for the listener. You know, their songs aren't engaging or they're not at a 2020 production standard. Um, But yeah, just seeing that pie chart really just, when I first discovered that, I was like, holy shit, like it's exactly right. It's exposure is 60% of what makes people successful in any industry. It's do people actually know what you're doing and are you marketing yourself correctly and uh, effectively? And you know, when you've blown all your budget on recording an album and there's nothing left to actually get exposure for it, then you've just poured your money down the drain. And that's my whole like uh, right. reason reasoning for starting my business. <laughs> you end up dying for, from exposure. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, um, I mean, just just to a, to a bit of a nerd out, um, one thing or one person that does come to mind when you started talking about learning to scream and, and keep pushing it um, have you are you familiar with Black Crown Initiate? No. Oh, that's so then from Pennsylvania. Are you familiar with Rivers of Nihil? Uh sounds familiar, but not so fam- not they're, familiar. They're kind of uh sister bands. They're from Pennsylvania. Um you know, Tech Death, uh Progressive. Um the actually the singer of this is a complete tangent, but the singer of Rivers of Nihil, if uh, Jen's um Kidman from uh Meshuggah ever died he would be the direct stand-in because he looks and acts the same way. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so Rivers of Nihil, James Dorton is a fantastic singer. He's got one of the best deep death metal growls out there, in my opinion. Um, and he's that kind of type. He does voiceover work. He's keeping pushing his range. The latest BCI album has him doing um, a track 
which is uh, the the Mongolian throat singing, which is a completely different technique. And I, wow. I was blown away by it because it's like, wow, he's 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 using you know everything about his voice and you know the tools that he has just to create something completely different, which is is really awesome. Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely check those two bands out because they're yeah. amazing live. They're um, you know where's Hawk, who was in um. I'm a, I'm like I'm a guitar player, so I'm gonna shout out a bunch of guitar players. But uh, so the Faceless, mm. you know the Faceless. Are you yeah. not really into progressive tech death? No, Come no, on. not not really okay. into progressive tech death. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so um, yeah, I I'll, I'll leave it there. Then a bunch of bands to check out. Um, yeah, cool. But I really yeah, want to check I mean, out that Mongolian throat singing. I'll band. I'll send you the link for the new album. It's it's killer. Cool. Um. Yeah, going from there. The other thing, um, let's let's talk about. Oh, so the other thing that you uh, that I wanted to ask is, what's your perspective on? Um, and I'm gonna say this. This is my pet peeve of how to say things. Um, you know, niching down. I know that the the buzzword is riches in the niches, but I say the riches are in the niches just to piss everyone off. Um, <laughs> But like, I mean, obviously, you, do you work mainly with, uh, you know, metal bands or do you have clients that, you know, could be from other, um, you know, genres? I mean, I, I, I think your podcast is fairly metal uh, oriented, whereas mine, I, I love all sorts of music, but music, but I'm definitely a metalhead at heart. Um, you know, how important is, ni- you know, your, your niche and finding that kind of, you know, f- uh, kind of reducing the amount whether you're a band or whether you're a, you know, a business person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think if you try and please everyone, you'll end up pleasing no one because you'll end up like just, I guess, watering down your message. So right from the get go, I really wanted to niche down on heavy bands and not just talking about like metal, like when you traditionally think of metal, but also like bands in that alternative space. So like pop punk, like even pop rock, indie rock um, mm-hmm. and you know, hardcore, just anything in that alternative heavy genre. That's kind of what I deal with because that's my passion. Um, I, I, it's, it's less about a strategic perspective nowadays. At first I thought it was more about the strategic perspective because hip hop artists and electronic artists were releasing music in a very different way to, mm-hmm. to bands. Now I understand that, you know, we need to be looking to those genres who are actually more popular at the moment to, um, give us the basis of how metal bands should be releasing stuff. Now it's still going to be different because when you are a, uh, when you're an electronic artist and you have like a home setup that you have access to all the time, it's super easy just to pump out songs every six weeks. However, when you're in a band and you have got five people and you know, the drummer wants to record real drums and uh, you know, everyone needs to have their, you know, be coordinated and there's a process that you that you work through when you work with an external producer obviously it takes a lot longer in saying that if you plan it well enough which is what I work with bands on is the planning and the execution there's definitely a way to uh, get very very close to that hip-hop and electronic kind of release strategy Um, but I think like niching down for me is actually more so about the mindset I fully understand the passion and the ethos that heavy musicians have and that really grassroots DIY mentality. Mm. And that's how I resonate with my audience because they come about things from a very different thought process, usually to uh, artists in other genres. And there are certain, uh, yeah, there are certain like opportunities and ways of doing things that I think are really specific to like metal and the alternative genres. And also a lot of it for me is about, okay, well, the contacts, like how can I refer people on? This is mm. who you should be working with in terms of PR. Um, this is who I can hook you up with in terms of maybe getting a meeting with this manager, or if you want to do like a consult with a label, then you know that kind of thing. So a lot of it is like it's not only like the mentality; it's it's like the actual contacts that I have and the um, knowing inside and out, like the particular festivals or um, particular booking agents that they should be targeting with certain things. Um, but like, I mean, the social media algorithms are the same for everyone. So I have worked with, I have worked with, you know, a jazz artist who's in like her fifties, for example, Mm -hmm. and, um, and worked on her social media and her branding. I've also worked with like a very, very like indie pop 
type of surfy band, which is definitely, um, although it's like still like a band, it's definitely not, uh, you know, who I usually work with. So I definitely have worked with like people outside of those genres, but, um, yeah, it's mainly in that alternative genre. I think it's important to niche down just because, I mean, look, there's like not many people doing kind of the work in the space that I'm doing. I didn't know anyone doing like consultation or band coaching, whatever you want to call it in this, like in this space. But I especially didn't really know anyone in the heavy genres. And I think that I've seen more and more people do this kind of work over the last, especially like year or so. Maybe it's Mm. just because of my name getting out there more and getting the exposure to more people. Um, I'm not going to say that I was like the first like pioneer, (laughs) definitely not. Um, but I want to be the go-to person for bands. So if a band is wanting advice on how to release something and, you know, really have success with Spotify and they've got a choice between coming to me and coming to, um, you know, someone who just works with everyone, they're going to come to me because I know, Mm. I know like I've niched down and I know like this, this side of the industry, like the back of my hand. And in terms of like a band, um, and niching down for your audience, a hundred percent, it's exactly the same thing. Like you've really got to, I mean, a lot of it's not even to do with the music. It's to do with like your values and your personality and the way that you convey that online. And not everyone is going to resonate. You know, my producer's band is, um, is called Wind Waker and they're really having huge success here at the moment. They're they're about to blow up. I think they're going to be the next biggest kind of band to come out of Australia. And, there, if you go on their Facebook, they're constantly posting memes and they're constantly mm-hmm. posting like very, very, like they're so ahead of the trends and they're so onto it in terms of like internet culture that it's mind blowing sometimes. And they actually have like a Facebook group that they use and their fans actually create a lot of their content for them. They create the memes for them and then they can use that and share on their page. So they don't have stuff to run, run out of uh, posting about, but a lot of people are really turned off by that. They think it's immature and their fan base is like a little bit younger, early twenties. And that's not going to appeal to everyone. You know, it's not uh, even though like serious, like straight metal heads would probably love their music because technically it's very good. And it's also recorded very well. And their show is really nice. The way that they infuse their personality and they don't wear black on stage. They just dress like in colors and sometimes get very experimental in the way that they dress like that's um it they're going to appeal to a certain subset of people and you need to you need to niche down and not be afraid of leaving kind of fans on the table because uh that's how you get diehard fans as opposed to people mm-hmm. that are just like oh yeah I guess they're okay but they just sound and look like everyone else and they just behave like everyone else and they're a bit boring so yeah very very important to niche down yeah if they um if they have a lot of dick jokes then you know sounds like my kind of band <laughs> I don't I'm, know. I'm a forty. I'm a forty-one year old, you know, child. So yeah. Well, then there needs to be a band that like is really into that, and you'd probably be like, you know what? Their music is like not usually stuff that I listen to, but damn, their dick jokes are good. Fuck. Right. I'm gonna follow them. It's, it's like uh, Devin Townsend, amazing esoteric, you know, prog, but you know, the master of uh, fart. I mean, didn't he release a whole album of farts from a tour? I think I heard well, it was that. A yeah, YouTube video that was like eighteen minutes long of just all the people, you know, recording their farts on their phone and sending it to him. Oh my god, that sounds like my worst nightmare. But <laughs> but that's hilarious. Like you know, it's very hilarious. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The oh, I've lost my train. I said dick joke, and now I've I've lost the the uh, the thing I was going to say. But that's okay. <laughs> um. No, that that's really cool. So I'd like to go into my non-quickfire question round, um, and my uh, my jingles to be to be recorded. Um, what significant negative experience have you overcome? Overcome, and what did it teach you? Significant negative experience was having every single aspect of my life kind of ripped out from under me when my band of six years ended. I had wrapped up so much of my identity in that band and I felt that without it, I was completely worthless. So I really had to build myself up and understand that my identity is not the band that I'm in and I'm actually an individual person and the band is just one aspect of my life and that's helped me build my business and not feel like I'm living a double life anymore between the day job or between make like the work that makes me income and being a performer. Oh, excellent. Thank you for sharing that. 
what major positive experience has given you the encouragement to uh, follow this as a journey? Uh, again, just starting my business and starting from scratch. And, you know, what I didn't add is at the time that my last band broke up, relationship breakdown, had to move house, um, big, big changes and being able to rebuild from scratch and learning that you actually have the power to be whoever you want to be. You can change in any moment. You can decide tomorrow that I'm going to give myself a pseudonym name and I'm going to start dressing this way. And some people may not understand it, but it's my life and you can really become whoever you want to be. So I think through our hardest times come our greatest lessons. So um, yeah, that's definitely one of the biggest lessons is you can reinvent yourself at any time and uh, it, it's going to be a lot more fulfilling. Fantastic advice. Thank you. Final question. What does music mean to you? Mm. Music is the way that feelings sound. Music is something that people can go to when they feel like no one else is on their side. And that's why I write lyrics. And that's why I'm so passionate about helping others make music because you literally have the ability to save people's lives. I've seen it time and time again. Music has saved my life. I've even had people say that music has saved their life. I've had friends in a similar boat. And so if you don't pursue a music career, you're, you're really just doing the world a disservice. If you're passionate about it, if you're not passionate about it and you just want to do something else, that's totally cool. It's not for you. It's not your path. But if you feel, if you know deep down that it is your path, then uh, you need to do it. And that's why I do what I do. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, so where can people find out about what you do, your band, all that good stuff and get in contact? Awesome. Yes. So Instagram, I'm at Monica Strutt. I'm Monica Strutt on all platforms, Twitter, Facebook. I'm so glad I snagged that handle early and I can have the mm. same handle across all platforms. Just because I'm such a nerd. Um, <laughs> so yeah, just find me, Monica Strutt. You can head to monicastrutt.com and have a look at my courses and my consulting packages. And I've also got blog, podcast. My podcast is called Being in a Band. Um, so definitely go subscribe to that. I'm also a featured host on the Daily Music Business Podcast, which has just been signed to the Sound Talent, Talent Media Network, which is amazing. And my yeah. band is called The Last Martyr. So we're very like post-hardcore, modern, hard rock, uh, heavy, screams, uh, but also very, very focused on melodies. So if you love your music heavy but melodic, then you're going to dig it. Awesome. Thanks so much. And then at the end of the podcast, I like to play a song from whoever I'm uh, interviewing usually. So what song would you like me to play? This is called Like a Ghost. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been a fantastic interview. Um, Continued success for the future. And uh, thanks again. Thank you so much, Simon. Thanks for having me. Thanks, as always, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, and I'd be extremely grateful if you would, I have added a page on musiconyourownterms.com to allow you to do just that. On that page, I have added some eBay affiliate links to equipment I use on the podcast. If you buy anything from eBay with these links, then I earn a commission which really helps me continue to provide this great content to you, the listener. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is The Last Martyr featuring Monica Strutt on vocals with Like a Ghost.
Yes!